And welcome back to Panic Mode, the podcast for gamers and game designers with your hosts who hate not being able to pet the dog in video games, Aiden and Shelby. Still can't get over that, huh? I cannot. I will never get over that. Is this why you're not ever going to finish Breath of the Wild? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So what are you talking about this week, Shelby? We're talking about inaccessibility this week, Aiden. Inaccessibility? Or or accessibility. Both. Both at the same time. Makes sense. So this is building a bit on a discussion from the, the soul genre last week because there's been this debate that has followed the, the soul genre around since it started is that it is it so hard that it's prohibitive? Is it so mm. are these games so hard that they are inaccessible to certain players or even most players? Yeah. I think it's a it's a very interesting conversation. I uh, I don't think there's a side that's like correct or incorrect. I think both are um, interesting to explore. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about that today. But we're also gonna talk about kind of I think something that kind of first jumps to our minds right. when we think about accessibility, which is designing for people who have impairments. Um, so this can be anything from color blindness to to um, being blind to hard of hearing, um, having a different kind of motor function. If you have seizures, light sensitivities, uh, these are all things that I think can and and are being designed for in video games, and we'll kind of go over what some of those things are, what they look like, and and how, what to consider if, if you want to implement that as well, which you which you should. <laughs> and I, I was genuinely surprised to see how much um, effort and detail and scholarship has been put towards this field. I was reading a lot of interviews about this guy named Carlos Vasquez, who uh, lost his sight when he was very young, but really loved video games, and mm-hmm. has continued to play fighting games. That's awesome. Until later in life, and he, he streams Mortal Kombat blind, and it's, it is incredible to watch. I'll put a link in the show notes for that, but... It, 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 it's just never dawned on me that it would be that way for some people and, and how they engage with the games in such a different way than you or I would. Yeah, and I think it's important to consider, you know, when you're designing a game, well, there's so many people who are going to be playing it and not all of them are like us. Um, are we don't, you know, we all have different experiences, different ways of, of seeing things and living things. And the Mortal Kombat games, they do a great job of having these insane sound cues. Right. And that's how I think he was able to play yeah. so well is because these awesome sound cues were kind of telling him where things were happening on the screen and how to react. Well, the, the studio that makes those games, uh, NetherRealm, has been consulting with him since Injustice 1. That's awesome. To, to figure out how to make the games more accessible to him. But he was even playing lines before that, which is even yeah. more incredible to me. Well, if you, you know, as a designer, if you yourself do not have a certain experience, go out and find someone who does. I'm sure they'd like, be more than willing to help. But what I found most impressive about him is that he was commentating on what was happening. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he's like, yeah. oh man, I should have blocked it. It's like, oh, I can't believe he hit that chain. And yeah. I'm just like, I, I, I don't know how he's, this is incredible. That's amazing. So That's anyway, very cool. Very so cool yeah, people are very passionate about this stuff, especially if they love games. <laughs> so there's, so let's, let's start on the, the less uh, controversial side of the coin and talk about what what are some of the disabilities that games and sorry video games are starting to be designed for? Uh, so yeah, what uh, what you said first off, so blindness, so Mortal Kombat, uh, those games are doing a great job of having some insanely uh, wonderfully designed sound cues to help out with that. There's also deafness uh, and color blindness. Um, I know that for color blindness, I think this one is maybe most common for right. for kind of being seen. Uh, in different games, you'll usually find them in a menu setting somewhere. Um, sometimes the developer will offer um, settings to let players choose colors for a variety of in-game assets. So I think I've I've also been kind of reading up on this, and this seems the best way to do it. So rather than having these kind of pre 
organized filters that you can just lay over the game because everybody um, has such a different kind of experience with colorblindness. Like from what I've been reading, there's no like one exact kind of like copy of it. Like people have such different experiences, right? I'm sure someone out there was like, oh, I'm colorblind. Could you change this red and green contrast Mm -hmm. to something else so I could see it better? Like, okay, no problem. Let's change it to a different shade of red and green. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm colorblind to that too. (laughs) So being able to offer just the let let the player choose. Yeah, exactly. That just makes it kind of gets around to all those issues. Yeah, they can just do whatever whatever works for them. Um, Especially you know different like monitor kind of like lights and there's a whole bunch of factors that go into it. So just letting your players choose is very useful. I know. I think Overwatch it just introduced this. Are you allowed to choose? colors for overwatch or is it preordained kind of stuff uh you can change a lot of the in-game masses okay, to be a bit different nice. but um i'm not entirely clear on how specific it can be like can you make one hero green one hero blue stuff like that but i'm from from what i gather it's like all the enemies kind of appear outlined in red and their yeah. assets kind of appear red okay so i think there was kind of this default tinge to it anyway that you can change that you can yeah. say okay maybe my i'll make all my allies red and all my enemies white and then mm-hmm. i can see that really clearly that's cool being able to make those kind of custom changes is really cool but yeah. i think just by default they were green and red mm-hmm. in the default base game which is what most players still use but being able to let players change that was obviously a huge uh, boon to many colorblind yeah, players I and imagine. we've got an article linked in the show notes too it's specifically talking about games that implement colorblindness modes and kind of the positives and negatives of what they're doing how they do it right. and some things to keep in mind so i think that's a great read if you're if you're interested in kind of having those color selection options there's also deafness um um, which uh, I think the most prominent example is probably Fortnite. I think everybody pretty much knows what Fortnite is. Very popular online game. They accommodate for deafness by having these great visual indicators that show up on the screen when gunshots are being fired. So you don't actually need to hear anything for it. You can just visually kind right. of see what's going on. Um, so that's a really great kind of solution and stepping stone to being able to accommodate and for, for that. It's kind of the natural extension of what you kind of, of the, the grenade indicator. Mm, as totally, were, that yeah. In many shooters... Um, it's very hard to hear and see grenades, but mm-hmm. since they play such a big role in the game, the game just puts a UI feature in to say mm-hmm. this is where the grenade is relative to you, so you can totally. adjust your gameplay accordingly, yeah. just so you don't die randomly all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so this kind of just takes that to the next level, where it's like, this is where all the shots are coming from, and it shows yeah. you visually. There's also um, motion sickness is actually, I think, a really prominent one that a lot of people that we know, yeah. I think, kind of have it's different... especially becoming <laughs> different very ways. famous in the age of VR, where yes. people oh my design goodness. VR games to try to not trigger motion yeah, sickness. Yeah, I think everybody kind of has a, an impairment for motion sickness when it comes to VR. Um, but we have a friend, actually, and um, she gets very motion sick playing games. Uh, she actually, I don't think she can play very many of them because of that. But in the video game Dragon Age Inquisition by Bioware, if anyone is familiar with that, they had a mode where I believe you would press the select button on the controller, and it would basically freeze the game, and you can choose to have your party um, attack different enemies. So this made it so that you were in control of the camera, basically. Right. Um, and you could fast forward through time kind at of your leisure. Kind of an RTS. Exactly. And so, Real-time strategy game. Yeah, she actually played the entire game in this mode. Yeah. Uh, that allowed her to not be sick and to kind of see everything, process it uh, as with as much time as she needed, and be able to be able to go through. So I think that's a really cool feature as well and something to kind of take into consideration um and then yeah as you said blindness already um yeah there's, there's an interesting there's, new field there's all sorts of things that are going to make games hard to play for certain kinds of players yeah. and i think this is still a very new thing we're trying to address as developers yeah but um the, yeah sorry sorry no continue <laughs> I, th- I think the bottom line for this is that these are great features to have, and it's something you should consider when developing your own games. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we also recognize that you can't devote all of your resources to 
overhauling your game to deal with motion sickness like Bioware did for their game, which I don't even think that was a conscious decision for motion sick players. I think that was just a tactical thing. But. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm unsure on the on the kind of pieces of that. But yeah, I understand that these things can be difficult to design for, especially if you yourself don't have this impairment or you don't really have anyone yeah. around you who you can ask because how, how do you know, right? Um, I don't think that's you know necessarily an excuse i think there are ways to to get better at this i think it's our job as designers to get better at this um it seems it's always seems strange to me to just take a group of people and say you're just excluded now like that doesn't seem fair or in the spirit of what video games are but you know in the in the spirit of <laughs> what the the focus of this episode is let's move on to inaccessibility in terms of uh difficulty so or maybe not even just difficulty but just complexity or just any part of a game that will make it inaccessible to otherwise able-bodied gamers. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was funny that I was listening to a podcast. Um, this was the Game Maker's Notebook, which is the Tim Price one. I shouted out a few episodes ago, and he was talking to Amy Henning, who mm. was one of the creative leads on the first few Uncharted games. And she was talking about how kind of we as, we as gamers have this weird nomenclature where we say we, we beat a game. Yeah. We don't say we experienced a game. We don't say we played a game. We, we beat the game, mm-hmm. as opposed to... Let's say in a book where you, you finished a book. You didn't beat a book. I didn't beat Harry Potter. <laughs> or you didn't... Same thing with movies. But we have this weird idea that it's like we overcame something when we did games. And I think yeah. games have to kind of... Some games should be that way. And I think that's okay. But not all games have to be that way. We have to be willing to step away from that and say like, oh, maybe it's not about the difficulty for a second. Yeah. And this is where things get interesting is because we came down on different sides of this issue at the end of the day. When it comes to, comes to a game like yeah. Dark Souls, which I say difficulty is very integral to the experience of dark souls and there is a part of it that does require it to be beaten and there is a satisfaction mm-hmm. to that but yeah. you found that having the lack of a difficulty setting made the game inaccessible to some players which mm-hmm. you thought was an incorrect decision yeah oh yeah <laughs> so yeah i guess let's just uh maybe jump right in and start talking about this dark souls debacle because you know what, we haven't talked about the soul genre enough. Lately. Oh, it's oh, it's true. It's true. We'll just <laughs> just really hammer that home. <laughs> so, uh, a quick disclaimer: mm. I have finished all of the Souls games, and I think even while we were just discussing about this for like the the pre production of this episode, mm. I was kind of walking the line between trying to separate myself from my own personal love from the games mm-hmm. and trying not to just gatekeep. Yeah. <laughs> and being like, oh well, whoever doesn't like this game is wrong, and they should just get good, which yeah. seems to be the perspective of some members of the Souls community, mm-hmm. and try to understand it as someone who tries to approach games from approach games from a more academic perspective. Yeah. Um, so I've played Dark Souls 2 the whole way through. I've played the beginning of Dark Souls 3, and then I was in school at the time, so obviously that didn't get finished. I should pick that up again. I was enjoying it. And then I've played a good chunk of Bloodborne, which we also still have to finish together. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's so that's my only Souls kind of experience. Not, not big on Sekiro? Or, uh... Uh, no, I, just, Sekiro really didn't interest me at all, I'll be honest. <laughs> As soon as they were like, yeah, you're playing as a dude, I'm like, mm, <laughs> that's a choice that was made. Yeah, they um, kind of did away with some of the role-playing aspects of that game, but that's yeah. so good. I'm really hooked on the fantasy settings, and this was, it was still fantasy, but it wasn't like the fantasy, it wasn't like the, the cathedrals of Bloodborne that really drew me in. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. <laughs> so, I guess my take on Dark Souls and having an easy mode is first let's break down what an what is an easy mode. I feel like when we hear the word easy, we automatically assume that somebody is worse than us at something um, because they have to do the the easy way, right? right? And I feel like 
well, first of all, let's ask ourselves, because I even do this, why do we feel the need to judge our experience based on the people around us? Um, this is something I do all the time. (laughs) And I feel like it's something that we do, we don't, we don't need to do. I think gaming can be a very personal, personal experience. And I don't think we need to, you know, judge others (laughs) in order for that to inform our own playthrough. But at the same time, I understand how that happens. I know that Dark Souls has a huge community, especially online, um, with a lot of people talking and engaging with the game and about the game. And and that's a huge part of it. And I I recognize that. Um, And here's the thing is that I guarantee you everyone who comes down on the side of Dark Souls should not have an easy mode and says, like, the difficulty's there, difficulty's great. Those are all people who have beaten the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are not people who have gotten stuck and have (laughs) have been stopped from progressing by the game's prohibitive difficulty. Yeah. So I guess one of the the main arguments that we were coming across for it to not have an easy difficulty mode is because Dark Souls as a game... Um, is a piece of art, which of course, of course it is. Listen, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you video games are not art. Of course they are. Okay, we're past that. Um, but as a piece of art, it is very intertwined in its design in terms of the message that it's saying to do with you know death, rebirth, perseverance, right. struggle, and the mechanics of the game, which deliver those direct feelings to the player by having them suffer, by having them die again and again and again, and by having them learn from those experiences and overcome right. obstacles. Right. And like, I I think um, the developers have said this in many interviews where a big part of the difficulty is just to have that great sense of triumph. And I think the the word that best describes it, I've heard a lot is uh, fiero, Mm. which is an Mm. Italian word that doesn't have a great English translation beyond (laughs) like, I guess it's like it's like a fiery triumph. Like you feel very just a big sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. is kind of the best translation I think I can muster. And I think I can understand that in the sense that I just finished playing Sekiro and then followed it up by playing Devil May Cry 5 (laughs) and Sekiro like it always it never it never gave me any quarter and every time I beat a boss that was ridiculously hard it was so exciting and I was clenching the controller for 10 minutes straight trying to get through this boss fight and it was Mm -hmm. it was ridiculous and I would text my friend and be like oh my god I just beat this boss it's crazy (laughs) you won't believe what happened where by comparison whenever I was getting into Devil May Cry the game had lots of mechanics to, to make it much easier for me. That It gave me all these items that let me revive at full health after mm-hmm. I died, or I could just spend some currency to revive immediately. And I never felt compelled to learn a boss fight properly just because I was kind of there just to cruise through the story. And like, yeah. and I think at the end of the day, that's the kind of experience Devil May Cry 5 wanted for me. It wanted mm-hmm. me to just kind of feel like a badass and feel like how those characters seem to behave in that world, where they're just kind of these unstoppable, cheeky, cocky gunslingers. Yeah. But... Sekiro, by comparison, you had to be much more disciplined, just like the character in the mm-hmm. game, and you had to you had to focus and take it seriously. And when you had those moments of victory that were few and far between, they were much more incredible. Well, Devil May Cry Five, I'm just kind of like, yeah, this is this is kind of fun. <laughs> Didn't get any of that fear yeah. from Devil May Cry. Totally. So, and I think the second you take away that difficulty from a game like Sekiro, and all of a sudden, if I feel like I'm stuck on a boss, it's because. I've bitten off more than I can chew, mm-hmm. and I should lower the difficulty setting mm-hmm. because it's there. I feel like that's what the developer wants me to do Yeah. if it's there. But since they don't put it there, I feel like it's like, okay, I've got to rise to this challenge. Mm-hmm. I've got to overcome this. This is how I get the Fiero. And yeah. if I beat the boss on easy after all that, I'm just yeah. like, hey, it's, uh, it feels a bit cheapened to me. But again, 
I'm speaking as someone who was able to overcome all this. Right. I realize there are people out there who are not able to beat Sekiro and will not be able to experience that whole game, even if they think it looks super cool. Yeah. And that's kind of where things start to get problematic. And I agree with you in that regard. But at the same time, like, how much do we have to lower the bar? Like, should toddlers be able to beat Sekiro? <laughs> no, not at all. That would be weird. <laughs> um, I think I'm coming from a perspective where... Why do there need to be games that are inaccessible to people in terms of difficulty? What, like, why, why do we feel the need to create games where some people will be able to beat them? And I'm not coming from from a disability stance here. I'm just coming from a like a like a purely like a, it's it's difficult and you you have all the um, abilities that you need in order to to finish it. Um, you know, why do we feel the need to cut people off in that sense? And I I don't have personally I don't have a good answer I don't I don't know I have I have a a huge design kind of I guess thing within myself that we should we should design with kindness and I don't know that cutting off certain players simply by saying you're not good enough is designing with that kindness now I don't think that Dark Souls would lose its sort of its message of, of this perseverance and this triumph by, by having an easy mode. Right. And here's why. <laughs> you don't have to play on easy mode. And I know that you said, you know, even by having it there, that's kind of what the developers right. want you to do. But I think, you know, as developers, you can just talk to your players and say, you know, very clearly in the beginning of the game, before it even starts, before you're even in that world, that this is the, the, the intended difficulty is the one that you're right. automatically set to. And if you, you, you are not intended to play this on an, on an easier level, but we want everyone at the same time to experience this story, to experience this game. And so I feel like, you know, as, as a player who is hardcore and, and wants that, you know, to get just slammed up against the wall again and again until they learn to overcome it, which is great. That's a, that's, that is an amazing experience. I think you can still have that and you can still choose to stay on that path, but for players who would rather, you know, experience that story and and that kind of, you know, atmosphere of Dark Souls, which is so wonderful, and the, the level design, to experience the level design of it, right? Crazy in Dark Souls right. 1, to have it be a little more accessible, perhaps a little less stressful. Um, I think that's, that's totally justified. And I think, you know, there's a lot of arguments of people saying, well, that's not the experience of the game. Well, you know, I mean, who's to say who experiences what, right? I think we all experience things differently. I think video games are meant to experience things differently. As art, we experience art in so many different ways, and that's what makes it art. That's what makes it wonderful. And I think we kind of came across this argument, too, where it's like, think about like a really long and complex book, like something Mm -hmm. like Alan Moore would have written. Yeah, totally. doesn't this fall in the same camp where it's like, I sure I could read the pages, but I wouldn't internalize it. I wouldn't understand it. I wouldn't enjoy it. Is Mm -hmm. that not similarly prohibitive? Should all books just be 200 (laughs) words tops and, you know, written in really big letters and just really easy words? Is this this where we're going? So my, yeah, we we talked about this before, but the kind of, I think reasoning we came back with was that, is that, you know, you can read a book beginning to end. You may not understand it, but you can you can read that thing. <laughs> you have tools like to help you really read it. Heavy. <laughs> oh man! Well, there I don't know. Is, that, is, this, is this what Dark Souls is doing? <laughs> but with Dark Souls, you know, there there are things in there that that honestly prohibit you from from getting past something or make it frustrating, so you get you can't get right. past something. And and I do realize that the that's kind of what the game is going for to to make you frustrated, to make you want to overcome, right? But 
But that doesn't mean that's the only experience, right? right? I don't think that means that's the only way to play it. And here's the thing is, I don't think they want it to be like, okay, well, they're they're not trying to deliberately stop players from playing. No, yeah, no. But here's the thing is, that's what they've done. So (laughs) what they could do is like, what if you were able to adjust the difficulty setting so that a player could, would take like exactly... 10 tries to beat a boss mm-hmm. and that's yeah. the experience they want yeah that would be different from everyone obviously yeah and that's ridiculously hard to tune and mm-hmm. i'm not saying we should ever try to develop a difficulty setting like that mm-hmm. but you could still have the difficulty you want without being prohibitive yeah and that is interesting to me but we have this kind of just dark souls at a baseline is just mm-hmm. x hard and it, it, yeah and that's not that's not up for debate <laughs> yeah yeah i think you know there are games that don't have difficulty settings but i don't think there is hard as Dark Souls. <laughs> like, um, I played, what was it? Gris, the game Gris. I don't right. believe it had a difficulty setting, but there wasn't also, uh, there wasn't any combat. <laughs> right. So, um, there's, ju- it's just mainly, mainly kind of puzzle solving, right? Things that you could look up online, yeah. for example. I also know that the Dark Souls community looks up a lot of things online, um, depending on and who you are. I talked is, about that too, because which is kind of fun. <laughs> I was talking about that. I'm like, I think that's a part of the game I've come to accept. Yeah. But you said that's, that's still unfair. Well, it's, it's just, it's an interesting kind of argument to say, I'm okay looking things up online to help me beat the game, but an easy mode is just kind of unheard of. You know, I'm not saying that's right. what you're saying, but that's, you know, that's kind of a, I think that's an interesting stance to take because I can see that as we evolve over time, cheat guides, of course, well, not, che- I guess, help, help guides, let's call them that. I don't, I right. personally don't believe it's cheating, whatever. You live your life, live your best life. I respect you. Okay. <laughs> so help guides have kind of been a new kind of thing since the, you know, the internet has yeah. kind of exploded, right? Um, there are these hubs that you can go to. It's no longer you and your friends trying to like figure out, oh my God, like, where do I go now? You can like literally go to like a wiki page, right? I honestly right? miss the old days before video walkthroughs where you could find some janky PDF that yeah. someone had written and it was like, you know, like hundred thousand words long and mm-hmm. it was just this novel on how to beat mm-hmm. the game and it was like full of jokes and stuff and it was great and they would like do little illustrations with the text and it was just it was it was so cool it was like (laughs) reading that was a challenge to itself but now we just have like oh this is how this is exactly how Mm -hmm. i beat the fight here's a video and it's like oh i see (laughs) but these these help guides right they're they're something that we have evolved to accept as being you know kind of inherent um parts of some games right and i feel in my heart of hearts that having having a difficulty mode that is accessible for all people is something we can also evolve to accept, <laughs> even for a game like Dark Souls. Because, you know, I know, I know that it's, that's the point. Like, it's supposed to be hard. I get it. But it can still be hard if you want it to be. Just don't play on easy mode. Like, and it's again, okay. Like, I, 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 I still come out against that, but I also realize <laughs> that, like, I'm sitting here on the other side of the gate. Where it's yeah. like, I, I came through it. You, you can too, everyone else. And it's <laughs> yeah. just... I'm I'm trying to detach myself from these values, but mm-hmm. I still feel like my experience would have been cheapened if I if there was a lower difficulty <laughs> setting. Yeah. And I I don't know if that's fair to everyone else to say that, well, because my experience would have been cheapened, you shouldn't be able to get to play. Yeah. And I feel like that's definitely like a very reductive way mm-hmm. of putting that mm-hmm. statement. Yeah. But again, I'm trying I'm trying to separate myself my, my my academic experience from my own uh my sorry my academic perspective from my gaming experience yeah and that's totally fair too right like i i can of course i can see all sides yeah. of this where of course you want to feel accomplished and you want to feel like you've done good things um but for for my experience on my part i want to feel like we've given everyone a chance and i i want to you know be kind to everyone i i wonder if you know what would the world like if we yeah. designed games 
where everyone could play, no matter what your impairment is or, or skill level yeah. was. Like, what if everyone could play every game? Um, and I'm not talking about toddler. I'm talking about, you know, like, like E for everyone, T, mature, like those age ranges, right? Yeah. What if everyone could just play every game? What world would that look like? I feel like that would be a wonderful place. And and that's kind of what, what I'm aiming for. And I, you know, they say, well, some games just aren't for everyone. And why not? Right? Why can't every game be for every person? And I'm not talking about I don't know. if I, you don't like some things. Like, if you don't like some things, like, that's fine. I think there is lots of room for games to be more esoteric. And, yeah. And not every game has to be for everyone, but I think the way you put it, where there should be a game for everyone, but not every game should be for everyone. Yeah. I've, I, I agree with that statement more than every game should be accessible to everyone. Yeah. And... It's interesting that you can even take this back a step further, where I know a lot of non-gamers who say, like, oh, I think that's cool, and mm-hmm. I would like to play that, but I don't know how to play games, so I'm not going to play it. Yeah. It, would be, it would be too hard for me. And I know my dad is a big sci-fi fan. He always <laughs> thought Mass Effect was the coolest thing. Yeah. We sat him down We sat, we sat. sat him down with it one day, and he really enjoyed it. Like He, he, did, was, he yeah. was playing through, he was, like, reading all the lore mm-hmm. and take, he was taking forever. <laughs> he was, like, <laughs> a lot of lore he would in go that through game. every dialogue option. It was really cool to watch, but... Once he was on his own, he, he just he couldn't quite get through it on his own. Yeah. Like it was still just a little bit too complex. And I think mm-hmm. there is kind of a certain learning curve that comes with learning how to play any given game. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think we're starting to get past that a bit as video games become more and more mainstream. Mm-hmm. As lots of people I know who are non gamers are like, well, what kind of game should I play? That that game looks yeah. cool. Like, can you get me to can you teach me how to play yeah. that game? And I don't think it's always on the onus of the game mm-hmm. to teach the player how to play. I think like it's it's okay for some games to just be like okay there's some we're expecting the player to have some skill coming into this we mm-hmm. expect you to know where the A button is yeah and I remember like when I first picked up an Xbox 360 controller I was like what what is what is an, what is an RB <laughs> is that I honestly thought it stood for right button for a long time I right, still think it starts think for it's right, right button right bumper oh is, is it technical no way. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, the PlayStation controllers I found particularly confusing because they had L1, L2, and L3. Oh, yeah, that's one, still dumb. One of that's them referred to, to a, clicking a stick, which yeah. seemed very weird That to was me. stupid. But and, uh, <laughs> another quick anecdote is, if you want to talk about accessibility in games, uh, one of the first video games I ever played was uh, Jimmy Neutron mm. and the Attack of the Twonkies, mm-hmm. which I, I still stand by to this day. That first level was ridiculously hard <laughs> for whatever reason, even though you're just picking up some stuff around yeah. the lab. but. Like I, I couldn't get through it. I just wasn't I wasn't there as a gamer yet when I was seven. Like it was the first time I really picked up a controller trying to be a single player game on my own, but it just it was a game designed for kids and I couldn't get through it. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, yeah, man. Video games are hard. They require a lot of uh so, yeah, there is just hand eye coordination. Yeah. <laughs> um and just yeah. one more uh, anecdote I mm. wanna throw in here about Dark Souls is um so another thing like Dark Souls Combat is probably what it's more most famously hard for, but the first Dark Souls game in particular also is famous for its awful navigation. Yeah. It is not clear where you have to go. Mm-hmm. And without a guide, you will get lost. I got lost in my first playthrough. Mm-hmm. And I read this uh this story about a person who was reviewing the game. And so this they got a pre release copy of the game. So they didn't have any of this online guide to help them out. The enemy's mm-hmm. online guide to help them out. Yes, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> the only resource they had to get help from the game was the other reviewers who had yeah, pre-release they're copies. all just giant email so chains. So they, they had a big email chain called the, I think it was the Chain of Pain. Oh my gosh. Of them trying to figure out how to beat this game and they were able to, because they got to beat the game for oh, your yeah. job. Well, yeah, There right? was no help. <laughs> so I found, I found that hugely amusing. And one of the things I just wanted to touch on is there was always the argument that Dark Souls does have a difficulty setting. It's just not like a tangible one that you find in a mm-hmm. menu. 
that it is just like in the first game, you can shoot off the tail of a nearby dragon mm -hmm. and you get a really great sword from it that will mm -hmm. help you muscle your way past the first couple bosses of the game. Mm -hmm. And that, that is essentially just lowering the difficulty for a while. Mm -hmm. And that having these first order optimal strategies, the, mm -hmm. uh, the foo strategies, that's a throwback for you, of um, giving the player a lot of output with very little input skill mm -hmm. to kind of overcome the initial harsh learning curve. Yeah. Does that existing help you deal with this fact that these games are otherwise fairly inaccessible? Well, I mean, <laughs> n no, because <laughs> that's only the first half of the game. What happens in the second half? What if there's another foo, at foo strategy? There's another foo strategy. Well, where do you learn about those foo strategies? Well, you gotta get them online. You gotta get them online, right? <laughs> why not just have a, why not just have an easier, uh, easier difficulty mode? Um, because I think, Ah, it just comes down to your experience does not need to define anyone else's. And other people's experiences don't need to define your own. And I think you can have a challenging game and play it as on the difficulty setting you want and have a great time and other players can do what they want and also have a great time. I don't think our experiences need to be dictated to us um, in ways that make us uncomfortable or ways that make us not want to play for that reason. Um... I don't know, I just, I, th I feel like, too, like, Dark Souls, if Dark Souls had an easy mode, and a hard, if ha or not an easy mode, but, like, difficulty settings, right. I don't think we'd even be having this conversation. It would just be like, yeah, if you play on regular, it's, like, a really hard time, and, like, there would be, I think there would be an elite kind of group of people that would say, right. like, the right way to play this game is on, like, the normal well, difficulty. All right, so let's actually move into takeaways now. So... I guess we're going to have two sets of takeaways for this episode because we are of different minds when it comes it's to this true. thing. So do you want to explain... Oh, sorry. We're, we're of the same perspective when it comes to um, how to handle disability, uh, how, to, yes. how, to, how to design games with disabled gamers in mind. Mm -hmm. So instead, let's do our takeaways on how we think accessibility should be done in games in terms of difficulty, complexity, and those kind of facets. Yeah. So for me... <laughs> um, I think as designers, you got to do what feels right for you. Um, but I also think it's interesting to design a game that's completable by, by many people. And I think you can create a difficult experience and that can be the way that you say your game is meant to be played. But once you release that game, um, some people may choose to follow your guidance and some people may not. They may take your game and say, I'm going to make out of this what I want to make out of this. Right. And I think that's okay too. Um, I think you can make a difficult game with an easy mode. <laughs> I think that not every game is going to be for every player in the sense that not everybody's going to like everything. And of course that is okay. That would be weird if everybody liked every game. That would just be very, that would just be very strange. So not every game is for every player, but I believe that every player should at least be able to play every game. And uh, I, I think that tweaking difficulty and complexity in ways that eventually if you push it so hard that some gamers may find accessible, is just another tool in a game maker's toolkit, as it were. Mm -hmm. Shout out to the game maker's <laughs> toolkit. <laughs> and being able to tweak those in such a way that makes the game can make the games more esoteric mm -hmm. and make the games more challenging in a way some players are really going to connect with in the same way I was able to connect with Dark Souls. And I think sometimes that will come at the cost of making the game prohibitively difficult or pro prohibitively complex or inaccessible to players for a variety of reasons. But I think that sometimes is just part of the cost. It's not every game is for every player in the same way, 
but not every game, not every player should have to be able to beat every game. Because obviously, if you take this argument to the extreme, I don't think we need to have a toddler be able to complete every video game ever created. <laughs> no, that's silly. But And I think by the same token, we should have some games that should only be able to be completed by more skilled gamers out there. And I think there is room for that. that games can take on a variety of shapes, and I think that's just one other thing we can tweak in our own games. But we have different minds here, and I think there are... I think. I can see the the merits to both of our perspectives. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I have of course I have great respect for all perspectives on this issue for Sarcasm. for all ideas Are you of being this sarcastic? issue. No. <laughs> Cuz that's what gaming is. It's I having have discussions. the utmost respect for your perspective. <laughs> oh, of course, I did all the time. That's what gaming is. It's it's figuring things out, it's talking, it's it's finding out what you love, what you don't love. And that's okay. That's what it's that's what it's supposed to be. Be kind, everyone. <laughs> all right, on that note, we'll see you all next time. <laughs> Okay, so for the sign-off this week, we're going to talk about getting feedback. Yeah. So we, <laughs> we don't run AAA studios, so we, don't actually have, so we don't actually have full QA teams at mm-hmm. our disposal. So <laughs> oftentimes when we're getting feedback, it's from our friends, fellow game developers, family, people we know. Yeah. And frequently I'll find that they'll just respond to the game by saying, oh yeah, I liked it, I really liked it, I liked, I liked, I liked the art, I liked the, I liked the game, I liked the music, and they'll just... Yeah tell me all these great things about it which man is really great for my ego but <laughs> not actually that useful as far as iterating on my game it's true so we're gonna we're gonna share with you a, a simple technique we found that really helps getting fe- good good feedback out of people who don't want to you know offend you as a person mm-hmm. is you ask them for some good feedback mm-hmm. but then also ask them for some bad feedback yeah so Shelby it's like um uh, tell me something really nice about my voice very deep and dreamy, Aiden. All right. What is something something you don't like about my voice? What what could I improve on? Do I do I slur too much? Do I? Well, you say so a lot, and we have to edit it out of the podcast constantly. <laughs> See, that's useful feedback. There you but go. Prompted, it could sound kind of mean. <laughs> Aiden like wipes a tear out of his eye. <laughs> but yeah, we don't mean bad feedback in the terms of like give them bad feedback, and we also don't mean it in the terms of give them mean feedback. It's more like critical. Being critical in a helpful way. Being like, it's like, you know what, like, I, I was playing your card game and I enjoyed it, but, like, I, f- I found it a bit hard to tell what the cards, like, what, what kind of card it was. Like, is this yeah. a monster card? Is this a trap card? I, c- I couldn't really see. Is there a way you yeah. could communicate that more clearly? And exactly, yeah. Getting feedback like that is hugely useful to then iterating on your game, but it's not always going to come out of people you know very well. Definitely. So find some strangers and feed them some chocolate for, you know, uh, perks or something. Yeah. I don't know. Everybody likes chocolate. But <laughs> in the interest of... Uh, living what we believe or mm-hmm. was it being the change we want to see in the world oh yeah we're gonna run a little bit of a little contest here oh oh man <laughs> you want to talk about that yeah so whoever's the meanest i'm just kidding <laughs> please don't be mean so a game we've been playing recently is return of the obra din oh it's so good aiden and i have been playing it together uh but it's beautiful game beautiful music and it's oh yeah it's really about just deductive reasoning it's kind of yeah. like the sudoku puzzle from hell yeah <laughs> basically it's a giant mystery that needs solving you are on a ship trying to figure out what befell the crew yeah. um there's a lot of different people to find out their names uh how they died um who killed them it's very exciting it's very interesting mm-hmm. it's very difficult. But we're going to give away two copies. <laughs> yeah, we'll be giving away two copies to two people who submit feedback. How do you submit feedback? Oh man, Aiden. Well, what you can do is follow us on either Facebook or Twitter and then leave a comment telling us a good and a bad about one of our episodes and we will choose at random two people. So yeah, tell us something you like about what we do and tell us something you think we could improve on. Yeah. 
Um, we will, yeah, like I said, we'll choose by random uh, two people and then we'll probably send it to you over Steam. Thank you for listening to this episode of Panic Mode. You can reach us on social media at panicmode.net, all spelled out, or on our website, panicmode.net. We would love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback you have about today's episode. And we'll be back next time, where we'll look at empathy in games. We'll see you then. Thank you.